unless you know how to do living systems thinking, which is what this is, you can't actually see this undivided wholeness and understand how to see these seven first principles. So you have to let go of, I'm already an expert in systems thinking. Wholeness is a slippery idea. Until we can let go of fragmentation and start with a whole, we can't get there. So how do we do that? Once we can see a whole, we can come to be able to see its essence, and now we can touch its potential. And it is feeling like high time to be welcoming you back to the one and only Making Permaculture Stronger podcast with Dan Palmer coming at you today with episode 55. And it feels so good to be getting this out. It's been a very full and hectic couple of months for my family and I. Amongst other things, we've relocated our entire lives to Aotearoa, New Zealand, and um, been in a mandatory hotel quarantine for a few weeks, all that kind of stuff. And we've just landed on some land here and set ourselves up in the house bus and got actual internet connection for the first time and um, it's great to be getting back into the rhythm and flow of making permaculture stronger. Now today I am sharing the third of my conversations, my ongoing conversations with Carol Sanford who blew my mind uh, I guess it's well over a year now, maybe a year and a half back. In the course of interviewing her I'll put the links to our prior chats. I can't remember what number, what episode number it was. And ever since I've, I've signed up to one of her change agent development communities for this part of the world uh, and continuing to find a lot of inspiration. I've never met anyone who can think so fast and so deeply in the moment. So to see Carol working live one-on-one -on -one with somebody who might be a permaculture practitioner or, or some kind of change agent working with organizations or whatever it is, she doesn't know what the context is when she starts, but just seeing her ability that's been refined over many decades to pull in what she calls these living systems frameworks and use them in the moment to ask questions that consciously shock and disrupt the person she's working with into deeper and more powerful and more practical ways of even thinking about what it is they're doing and to see their kind of mind get almost sort of dissolved and then the way they're thinking about the project get grown up again so they always seem to leave smiling <laughs> even though even though it can be you know quite an intense experience at the time anyway i'm getting a lot out of carol and i'm very excited today to have her take us through what she calls the seven first principles of regeneration where if you're interested in regeneration, and if you're into permaculture, I would like to think that you are interested in regeneration. Carol has a pretty high bar for the use of the term, doesn't want to see it get dumbed down and bastardized and become banal, as has happened with so many other words like organic and sustainable, etc. Uh, so she's um, sharing some of what it means for her to think in an authentically, to think, act, and, and otherwise in an authentically regenerative way. Now, a really big point, a really big, it's not really, it's not a disclaimer, it's just, just an acknowledgement of the fact that these things are deep and profound, and I've checked them out thoroughly enough to know they do make a real practical difference on the ground. I don't know if you've heard that saying, there's nothing as practical as a good theory, as a good idea. The idea being, whenever you do anything practical, I mean anything, like you dig a hole and plant a tree, or you set up a worm farm whenever you do anything at all as practical as practical can be you're in that moment you're actually pulling in and using theories or ideas or assumptions or worldviews or paradigms whether you acknowledge it or not and the reality is that we can't really shift up 
in a, um, in a in a fundamental way, in in an authentically regenerative way, the way we think, act, do, be as humans on and with and in and through Mother Earth, unless we revisit the the ideas that we are actually manifesting and using to inform our, our every waking action. Um, and so I'm across the line in terms of I know this stuff is important, and I want to acknowledge that for some of you it's going to probably go right over your heads, it's going to be quite hard to grasp initially, and I, I anticipate doing a follow-up podcast where it's just me, I'll share some of the practical ways in which this these ideas are informing my own work and bringing a lot of clarity and power to the work I'm doing with organizations and permaculturists of um, different types. So keep that in mind. See what you can take from it and know that there's going to be follow-up. And know also that these ideas are going to be directly informing the continuing journey of making permaculture stronger, which, as you know, if you've been following this, is not a random assemblage uh, of interviews or ideas. It is a continuously unfolding, growing, evolving um, narrative and inquiry and exploration, experimentation. And part of phase two, which in a way we've spent the entire year just getting in position for, doing some setup for, is um, part of what that will be about is bringing these seven first principles of regeneration to permaculture itself. And part of that is um, looking into what is permaculture as a whole and what is permaculture's essence or its originating impulse and what would it mean to go back to that and regenerate fresh understandings and practices and everything from that place minus all the baggage that's been kind of inadvertently tacked on and grafted on etc over over the years anyway let's jump right in i should tell you that if you go to the show notes at makingpermaculturestronger.net you will be able to track down the the show notes for this episode, which will include a diagram that captures the two overlapping triangles that Carol mentions at the start that she uses to to illustrate this framework. And there'll be some other notes uh, and links and all that kind of thing there as well. You can go directly to Carol's work at carolsanford.com. And from there, you can find various bits and bobs, including the change agent development community she mentions a few times that I'm part of and it'll be fun to to have anyone who's who's kind of <laughs> I was going to say serious enough serious slash crazy slash game enough to jump in there as as well and start to explore these ideas and how they transform our practice together okay well over to the conversation with Carol and uh, all the very best for this this time the next several weeks or month of the year where I know a lot of us around the world will be doing some kind of celebrating or, or, or resting um, and whatnot. And I very much look forward to catching up with you probably in early February with the next episode. And I'm also excited to come back to the writing to to see through the Making Permaculture Stronger book project and also to start sharing a lot of the ideas and conversations that have been having happening behind the scenes in our community of practice that some of the um, supporters of this project are part of through patreon.com slash making permaculture stronger we'll be meeting tomorrow night which is going to be fun but to be sharing those in the public forum of the of the blog and podcast all the very best thanks so much for for tuning in for your listenership thanks for bearing with me if you actually managed to listen through this even though you might find some of the ideas or you probably will find some of the ideas challenging and difficult they are those things and trust me for some of us at least it's it's worth the effort of, of grappling with them and seeing where they take us Alrighty, all the best and i will catch you next year carol sanford welcome back to our third conversation on the show you just can't get enough can you can't not get enough <laughs> it's probably an understatement um yeah it's been whatever it is it's been maybe a year and a half now and the, the work i've been learning from you 
and colleagues and regenesis and whatnot is continuing to light me up and give me a huge amount of clarity in, in the work I'm doing and bring a lot of inspiration and focus to this, this very project. So I'm excited today to explore this topic of what you call the seven first principles of regeneration, where in our last conversation, you took us through what you call the four levels of paradigm that you laid out in the regenerative life. And yep. you took us through what these four layers from, from value return through arrest disorder to through do good to the, the possibility of regenerate life or build capacity. And a lot of listeners have really engaged with those. And so I feel like there's a base level of familiarity with those. And diving into the detail a little bit more, in the regenerative life, you lay out how there's four core aspects of this regenerate life paradigm. And one of them is this, what you call the seven first principles of regeneration. Mm. And so obviously we can't really grasp what regenerate life even means as a paradigm unless we have a sense of what these seven first principles are. So today I'd love to invite you to share those with us. And before we start, I wanted to really speak to the directly to the audience a little bit, having been exploring this stuff for a while. And I wanted you to take a moment, if you're about to listen to this, uh, well, I want to give you a heads up that what we're about to explore is some pretty deep stuff. If you're in a busy or distracted environment, or if your mind's still a bit busy from what you've been doing previously today, I just invite you to take a moment to catch up with yourself, maybe hit pause, take a few deep breaths, maybe you can get into a quieter space to, to consider doing so, because there's a lot in this. I've been working with these principles for over a year and I'm still, it's like an onion, the layers are, there's just so, so much depth to explore here. And one thing I wanted to notify listeners about is the very real risk that the paradigm and the worldview that you bring to trying to understand these seven first principles is probably actually not really going to let you truly grasp them. And in particular, what we can tend to do when we hear something like this is reduce it to a dead mechanical procedure. So these are, these are seven steps in a procedure, and that's not what we're talking about at all here. And I just want to give you a heads up. So this is something different. It's something a lot richer, a lot deeper, a lot more alive than that. And I don't know if you add anything to that, Carol. I have one thing to it. You talk about you've been looking at for a year. I just quickly subtracted when it was the first time I had a, uh, a strong experience of these, which was from my grandfather, which I tell about in the book. And they're much more ancient than that. Mm. But I was about 13 years old the first time I became aware I was being taught through mostly the way I learned to see environments and see people and see myself and see the people in my life. And that was 65 years ago. So you can add all that together and you know how old I am. And I am still unfolding what I think of these and what I call them because I gave the current names to them. The Iroquois source in the U.S., a, a nation of people which Mohawk are part, which I have some lineage of, were using these ideas, uh, but they didn't have the kind of names that I brought to them. And I brought the names that I have primarily through, this is going to sound really strange, looking at philosophy of science, particularly Einstein and David Bohm's understanding of how we see reality and why we don't see it very well. So I was studying them 50 years ago, right? 
So the names that I have on these, just know they're alive in me. They're still speaking. They're still trying to get me clear. They're still trying to get me to not do what you just caution people not to do. Because there's such a strong invitation to take this to a classical physics, physical thingness. So first, I don't want you to be disappointed <laughs> that after a year you haven't got them. That's a good, good sign. It means you didn't lock on the first time. So, okay, got it. I can take the test. So I want you also to be alive to these forever, as long as you're alive. And the names of them will move. And today, as I give you names, know they are my current best embodiment of those terms and what they mean. Yeah, I, one thing I'd add to that is that I went to school and university and got good grades, not at school, but when I, when I started paying attention at university and the kind of the understanding of how we learn stuff and our, the theory of knowledge we have, whether we like it or not, that we bring to the stuff can be, oh, this is, a, this is a set of answers that I can copy and paste into my teaching notes or something like this. Whereas I'm finding more and more, this is an example of what you call a living systems framework, which is more about a set of questions and also... Yeah to realize that the framework itself isn't like a piece of knowledge that you're going to consume. It's actually a disruptive invitation into a whole different way of seeing life, being alive, imaging life, working with life. And so it's, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of thing. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Daryl. All right. Well, that said, let's, oh, one last thing I'll say too, by the way, is that some of you, this was the case for me. I don't feel like I fully grasped number one yet, you know? So, don't have a mentality of, well, I'll, until I'm clear on what the first principle is, I won't move on to the, just let that go. <laughs> yeah. Let go. I wouldn't even take notes. I instead would try and experience it because I'll talk about examples and how it might work. And you'll be better off if you really watch that kind of thing happening in your life that will help ground it for you than taking notes and think you've got it. You can go to Medium and download. I, I publish a lot of stuff trying to help people grok these terms and the ideas that go with them. So there's a lot of ways to get it. You can even come join Dan in one of my change agent groups if you decide you really want to dig into it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs> Let's do this. I want to start with first a polarity that I'm going to use with between classical physics and quantum physics, because this is how you're going to have to listen to me. When we started doing science, you know, like particularly publishable science, industrial revolution stuff, the primary guy that we still hang on to his ideas was Sir Isaac Newton. And I think I may have mentioned this to you before. I'm related to him. And were you also related to him? I, I think that was um, Gordon. It was Gordon White from Rune Soup. Oh, it was Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I knew yeah, yeah. it was a permaculture conversation. All right. <laughs> so what we got from Newton was that the world is full of things that only get momentum when something moves them, like gravity moves an apple off a tree. Or as Einstein said, um, Newton thought every uh, person thing was acoustic hitting another person or subject or anything ball and putting it in the pocket. And that was the way all reality worked. It had to be confronted, moved, and determined where it was going to go. And Einstein said, we now know, and he cited David Bohm regularly, 
who wrote Wholeness and the Implicate Order. And he was at Berkeley 22 years before I was. And I studied with some professors who were students with him working his PhD. So I got a little, not directly from the horse's mouth in that case, but from people who were trying to teach it when I took Physics 101. All right, so Einstein said, quoting Bohm, quantum is not about the things you can see, the exquisite world, the world you can touch, your senses pick up. It is about those things that are hidden, those things that are happening prior to and holding the context for something to happen. So we all know, like if you've ever been to a party, and surely at your age you've been to many, you walk into the room and you know there's something been going on. Even before you talk to anybody, there's kind of a milieu, right? Or uh, an attitude, which is position. And that's one of the examples of kind of an implicate order. And if there's a hostile atmosphere, we will feel fearful and not even know why. If there is a um, loving, like if you just walked in and there's some kind of great psychedelic uh, lights and maybe a little to go with it, you got a whole different atmosphere and different things happen. So they were talking about that being on a grand scale, not a room at a party. Uh, based on kind of the cultures we create globally and nations create on their own particular ones, companies might create one. Permaculture was trying to shift one, right? Move it when it came in and said, look, this heavy machinery we use and dividing everything up in chunks doesn't work. So first I want us to get the idea that everything I'm talking about, you can't go do in the sense that you'll change something you have to go think a different way and you have to start in a different place. The second thing is it'll help you if you can image the framework I'm talking through because I'm going to be looking at one side and then the other and a little in the middle so you can feel what people have tried to do. If you think about two triangles, in Greek they call them triads because triad meant it was related, not three things. Two triads and one of them is upside down. So you have one where the points slightly cross over each other. You could have them barely touching each other, but what, the way I'm talking about it, slightly crosses over. And so each of those two points still exists, but there's also a space in between that connects them. And the upper one I call the outer world, and the lower one I call the inner world, right? So... Yep, stuff goes on inside of me and it determines how nice a person I'll be when I talk to you. Or it determines whether I can have empathy for you or whether or not I can actually want to do something to help or to grow you. It determines all sorts of things, but it's all going on inside of me. You can't see it. Now, you may guess at what's going on with me, but only I can know. So that's the whole bottom. And the whole top is the outer world where you can see what I'm doing, you can see how it manifests, how I do things. And these seven first principles that were articulated by the Iroquois originally, looked at the inner and the outer, plus where they crossed over and what caused them to be able to move one to the other. So just know I'm gonna speak through that framework. You got all that in your head, Dan? 
That was great. I'll just recap that first bit because I think that's so important and I want to land this for permaculturists because a lot of permaculturists would hear this and they're like, we don't do the Newton thing, we don't do the mechanical thing. I had a really fantastic session recently with what we call the Making Permaculture Stronger Community of Practice and I started by saying, okay, systems thinking. We're all just systems thinking. Sometimes permaculture is defined as applied systems thinking. Everyone takes some time. We do a wake-up exercise. Go and write down what is a system? What's it made up of? What's systems thinking? Give me an example. Come back to me. Is there anything wrong with it? Come back to me. And they all shared it. And they all said, you know, a system is a set of connections between parts and there's flow, right. and there's, there's emergence, right. the whole is greater than the sum. All that right. standard stuff that comes from Donella Meadows and, and is repeated in every permaculture book. The amazing thing was, I said, okay, what's it different to? Oh, it's different to reductionism. It's different to mechanism. I said, well, let's look up what mechanism. So we looked it up and said, mechanism is an approach where you, you look at the world as a bunch of primarily of parts. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's look up the word machine. Oh, it's a, it's a bunch of connected parts. And then we looked closely at the definitions they'd given of systems thinking, and they all reduced. I said, you know, what comes yeah. first? They all reduced to parts. And it, it was a bit of a like, holy shit moment for people. And then we explored this idea of moving into what you're calling quantum, the field. And I love Bohm's statement about what would it mean if, if our whole way of understanding the world was based on this primary perception of reality is undivided flowing right. wholeness, right? And you realize what we call systems thinking destroys that from the very first moment. If those are the eyes through which we're seeing the world, the world's a dead machine before we've even started, you know? And so I just wanted to land that point. This is a big deal. And permaculture's got some serious work to do here. The word systems thinking is thrown around for a lot of things that are machine-based, like system dynamics that Peter Singe created. It's all based on loops, feedback loops. There are no feedback loops in the implicate order. They, we impose those kind of ideas. And unless you know how to do living systems thinking, which is what this is, you can't actually see this undivided wholeness and understand how to see these seven first principles. So you have to let go of, I'm already an expert in systems thinking. Thanks for that setup. Beautiful. I reckon we're in position. Let's do it. Let's yeah. jump in. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the first one. So David Bohm said, Einstein affirmed, and there are some ecologists who can get this now. Certainly many indigenous people experience it. It's based on holes. Now, I don't use wholeness because wholeness is a slippery idea. All of me is there. All of it is there. And there's some kind of wholeness. Now, holes really are where you start as opposed to fragments. So the example you were giving at the Permaculture Conference was a fragmented view. And we assume somehow things are fragments and when we get good enough, we can see how they all relate and we'll get a picture that's so complex. And you see people drawing these that they think somehow will show you how everything connects. And you know, now that we've got computers, they make everything binary. It has to be this way or this way. That's how you code. I mean, I'm not a coder, but until we can let go of fragmentation and start with a whole, we can't get there. So how do we do that? So there are two or three ways I talk to people about doing that. The fastest one, why did I say that? This is hard too, but for me, the fastest one is to see a value-adding process in which holes are working. So a value-adding process could be 
assembly line, but that could be a gardening project. But instead of looking at the parts, chopping up that there's soil and there's machinery and there's uh, seeds and all the kind of stuff we do and come up with a plan which says, why don't we create one so they're more able to interact with each other, which is what permaculture does. And they're more able to do with the environment if fire or flood comes, right? You're still working from the fragments for the most part. If you look at evaluating process, there is something of value being added, and that's how you can tell you have a whole. So Dan doing a podcast has the potential of being evaluating process. And you work like crazy to do that. You try and think through the mind of the people who are listening, who are going to get the benefit. So you are operating as a whole because you're here working on adding value to something. And you're understanding the implications of that value, the effects. And in order to see that, you have to think about the whole that's listening, right? So when we think about a whole, it means that whole exists in a world where it's contributing something which another whole can benefit from. And I did yours as listeners, but when you're a permaculture guy out there doing your consulting, et cetera, you would not really be a permaculture guy if you pull out your textbook and you have, a, a let's say, a workbook that says these are all the things I do. That, by definition, will be fragmented. But if instead you think about where is this place that I am standing? What is its story? What is the work that it does at this place on the planet? At this place in the watershed. So I have this farm that wants to be regenerative. I have to understand everything that's been here and it won't help me to go immediately start figuring out what's the pH of the soil or where it is I have to put swells. I'm fragmenting again, right? I have to start with a hole, which is this place and its story. When you're working with our friends Regenesis, so they talk a lot about story of place. When I do it with a human uh, or a company, I talk about its core task or somewhat the essence of it, which we'll get to is at the second one. So you have to, see, the only way you can see a whole is see what it is that that entity as a whole is contributing it has to bring all of itself to it and you're able to understand it that way i also have another way that's not quite as easy to grasp but some people might get it is all wholes have structures systems and processes so as a um a life shed you you know i don't like to call them watersheds because that's a fragmented name for it it has water, it sends it down to us. We need it clean because it's my water. Another group, it's my, my, the food shed or the air shed. No, it's a life shed, it's where life is operating. And every life shed has a history. Every life shed has uh, ancestors, and I don't mean ancestors terms of yours and mine, but every living thing there has an ancestry. And for her to understand it and understand this watershed next to the watersheds on either side, we can see it as a whole. But usually we divide it up in watershed management. You get a chapter on rivers, forests, 
wildlife, right? So now we're back to the classical view. We've fragmented it rather than being able to see it as a whole. It has within it as a whole a structure. You can actually define and, well, more depict, image how it is that it's structured. And sometimes you can do that by looking at a contrasting one. It has systems that are at work. It has hydrological systems, for example. Not water. That has nothing to do with it. Water comes from many different places. It, it comes uphill as well as down. Everybody thinks water goes downhill, right? Well, it goes uphill too. It has um, systems for biological processes. Again, not fragmented to the names. And it, it has uh, a way things exchange value in there. So the whole lives. Those are all the kind of systems that are there. And then it has processes. Every time you go in, you do something different. So that's the first. If you can't start with seeing it as evaluating process, see it in a context, doing its work, contributing with structure, systems, and processes understood, you're probably fragmenting. Watch yourself making a list. Watch yourself making models that have things on them with names like water, et cetera. That's, that's so great. Yeah, it's, it's so spot on um, when you apply it to permaculturists because I've seen this in myself and I see it with the people I work with. And some of, at first it can be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure, I get it. It's a whole life shed, but I need to understand it. So I'm going to go and measure the pH. And it's like, just catch yourself. Let it right. be a whole. Don't, because what we think is, because we bring this, this a different worldview is, well, the whole is simply an assemblage of parts. So how can I possibly understand the whole unless I start my audit and go through my checklist of part by part by part? It's possible to let it be a whole. Sure, you can still look at its differences and it's like you're saying, it's structure systems and processes, but you can actually do that without needing to destroy the wholeness. Well, sorry, not wholeness, destroy the whole and, and focus on the fragments. Right. And the way we do that, I, this is what I call the excuse and the bypass that well-intended people do. And that's permaculturists, people who are doing uh, whole different ways of business systems working, helping build communities. What they do is instead of the fragmented and they don't understand holes, they do the relational, connected. That's the paradigm they're operating, which is a step up, <laughs> over from the fragmented classical view. Yeah, that's right. Maybe a step up because that, that came out of the conversations I have when I push people. I say, oh, no, they say, no, no, it's not about the parts. It's all about the relationships. It's about the functional connections. Right. And I say, okay, let's look up the word, they said, interconnection and relationships. And you can't right. understand those terms unless the parts come first because, you know, so it's like it takes you straight back to mechanism yep. disguised in the language of systems thinking. And so, so just notice that. And this can be really disrupt disruptive and confronting to realize you thought you had this cutting edge approach to systems thinking. It's right. really just the same old crap in different clothes. And, and, and in fact, way. fragmentation is the basis of every problem on the face of the earth, from currencies that kill each other in the process to political campaigns to business strategy. We all do it fragmented as, as though there are no living holes and the good people go try and build relationships. So anyway, good to be warned. I just got to, I just got to oh. one last thing, which is we talked about how we, we go into, we default to a fragmenting mind when we look at a, a landscape or a physical space. What I'm noticing is we also do that when we, when we try and understand the process we're using. 
Yeah. You know, we actually destroy that. Well, we, we deaden it. We reduce it to a mechanical procedure of step one, step two, step three. It's the same, exact same thing. It's actually possible to hold the process as a living whole. Yeah, and you can learn what, you haven't been exposed to this yet in CAD, but you can learn what I call a value-adding process, which is not at the level of the process or even the process flow, which is kind of the uh, good guy's level, right? Get the flow, get it all connected. But core process, which is ask what is the core process of the work that has to be done here, and it runs through everything. None of this can be actually understood by me saying it to you at all. You have to learn like you've been doing. Go really dig into it. All right, we've been talking for 30 minutes, and we've done one of the seven principles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just say, if it turns out this needs to be two chats, let's not yeah. rush it. No, people need to get all these together. Yeah. You can't stop. So I'm going to go a little faster and then pause. So the second of the first principles, and I didn't mention why first means as much to core as we can go. What is it that we know in reality that we can't explain anything else and we can't at this moment find conflicting ideas? So first principles are like what constitutions are and commandments in our spiritual traditions. These are like inviolable, okay. The second, and I'm debating, I've still been moving two of these back and forth. Uh, I'm going to go to essence. And that is unique to living systems. And it never shows up in the well-intended middle category. Uh, what shows up that we, uh, even well-intended people, have a time, hard time letting go of is some generic idea. There's a generic good. Yeah, zero waste net zero net carbon there's somehow some generic idea that would fit everything and when you do it means you don't see it for who it is what it is in any specific way so in your case you know you've got kids and at a certain age you expect them to read that's the generic idea at a certain age you expect them to take responsibility for household chores and if they aren't there hmm well, they're not meeting the generic standards, right? If, on the other hand, you look at a child and say, so what's the essence of this child? What makes her who she is that if that went away, she lost it, she wouldn't be her anymore? And it's one of the, the hardest things for people to come to grips with, and it's one thing David Bohm explains, is everything in a whole defines it as itself. It is what makes it unique, whether it's a child, the life shed. I do this with a business. My friends at Regenesis and me engage with them sometimes do this for a city or a region, something that has its own identity. And if it's in natural systems, you have to use nature's definition. If it's human generated, like a corporation, it usually can, I think always, comes through the founding, whenever that was brought into existence. And so the second thing we have to come to grips with is getting over this idea of generic and getting to essence. But let me say a word about the middle. The well-intended people, I'm gonna call them, right? The humanists, we're, you know, uh, tend to try and get around this generic 
because they can see, I don't want to be like everybody. I mean, you know, no, I, I am not like everybody. I'm different. They said, well, you're one of four types or nine types and maybe some subsections under that. You can take a test. And then you can figure out what category you are and what your secondary and tertiary traits are. So now you're only like one quarter of the people on the planet or one ninth of the people on the planet, right? And we do the same thing with watershed management. There are, I've forgotten, I used to know how many types of watersheds are on the planet. I think there are five. Uh, there are weather, weather patterns and uh, climate patterns that are again made generic or we finally say okay they're not a lot alike there's one to four and we do that because we're trying to overcome our own desire not to be standardized not to be made all of one the crazy thing is that essence it means in of one infinite number of ones every child every flower every species of animal uh all have their own essence and we know that if we've ever had a pet which we really get close to each pet has its own unique thing now that happens with everything that's alive and i don't see people and to learn to see that is really hard i it took me literally a couple of decades to learn to see essence and I do eventually help the people who study with me learn to do that, but you don't learn it by going to a class and being taught this, as you said, the steps. It's a different way of seeing the world and it's not seeing its parts and putting them together. It's seeing it working and evaluating process and what it is that's being brought at the level of core. All right, so that's the second one. You wanna add anything to that before I go to the third one? um that was the point i wanted to make is like this is a lifelong process to get closer to your own essence and the essence of the people you're working with the landscapes you're working with that's the question i'm holding in mind is what makes this one of one what makes this unique yeah and it is something called essence thinking so where i described it just now in terms of the essence of an entity a living entity but there is essence thinking and learning to use frameworks and discard mental models which give us prefixed ways to see things is a whole thing in itself, which is required to learn to do this. And we're going to find it's necessary for holes and for all the other aspects of the seven first principles. You have to learn to be an essence thinker. That reminds me, I think this is going to be, well, this is so useful for me. And I think it'll be useful for others. Hold a space for the possibility of getting closer to reading essence. Like let it, let it be there as a, as a, as a principle. Um, yeah. And then what, what you said on the CAD group recently was something like, the way I'm thinking of it now is if, if you can also hold space for the other, of all of the seven principles and just start to let them work through you, yeah. essence will come along to the, for the right. Essence will start to show up and join the party and, and you right. can start to sort of notice it rather than trying to have to say, oh, I need to figure that, that out. I need to figure out what essence is before I can even get to the third principle. Well, and you're stepping toward the third one which is learning to see potential. Mm. Something is, uh, as Bohm said, something is unfolding and infolding. So it's rolling out, but then it has to become embodied in me. So there's this in and out kind of process for things to move and change. And once we understand essence of an entity, 
we can now see it has its own potential. So there's like an N of one potential. Just think about that. We have 7 billion, sorry, Mother Earth, people on Earth, but each of those beings, and then you add that to all of the living species, the non-human living forms, and what you're able to see is potential. However, there is something gets in the way of that. And, and there are a couple of things to talk about here. One is, when I said to you at CAD, which is Change Agent Development Community, to hold space for that, you have to learn to manage your own ego. Because the biggest thing I see is people think, oh, I can see essence, I've done that for years. And it's all personality projecting themselves onto something. You have to absolutely let go of the idea you know how to do it or you can't create space. The way we end up fragmenting it again, or back over there, what we do with fragments, is we start to find problems. So in your permaculture report, in order to understand it, you look at water and how water is working, and then you find a problem and you create an intervention that can deal with that problem in that place, right? So problem solving and the idea of working on issues in people places, people have jobs that are about people, see issues. People who work in the thing world, coding, whatever, have problems. Those are all the old paradigm. We're still, every time you say, start with the problem, get clear about the problem, find the problem, work on the issue, look at the challenge, whatever it is you have that's fragmented, you are back with my grand, 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 great uncle, Newton. The thing we do, the humanists, the good guys in between, and I bet these are many of the permaculture practitioners, is we look for ideals. What would it ideally look like? If I walk to a land in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is high fire country, high desert, high desert. Oh, okay, fragment. I know how to generically deal with that kind of thing. I have ideals about what it should look like in terms of swells. And I don't even know what all those terms mean, but there's things that we do which make us feel so much better than the people who are back at the generic treating it all alike. Nope, we look at the various things. All right, so what we're doing with, once we can see a whole, we can come to be able to see its essence. And now we can touch its potential because potential only comes distinctive, distinctively from each N of one. And if we start with fragments, we will find the generic version of what things ought to look like and how many fragments. We usually have a template for that. Go from fragments to generic. Oh yeah, here's the template. Um, and then from there, what we do is find the problems and work on them one at a time, break up in task teams, or create different parts of a plan. So you can see if you go down, I've got this on the left-hand side of my column, fragments beget generics, beget problems. Holes, if once you can see them, and this is the hardest part, begets seeing it as distinctive, unique in essence, which begets having potential. All right. And just to bring it back to the, 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 the two triangles, you've just described the first, the, the three sides of the lower triangle. I have. And so now so, we're going to move into the space in between. Oh. We're going to move into the space in between, yeah. And I used to try and go to the top, but it's hard to talk about what you have to do to have the 
outer work if you don't know the bridge. So remember, these are slightly overlapping. So where we have one on the lower will be slightly overlapping with the top. And what we're going to have is essence, which is going to go into that outer world. But the only way you can get there, and the only way you can even understand what Dan is cautioning you about, and what I'm describing about how to do it, is to do this work on the bridge, which I call development. This is based on my thesis, but boy, I didn't come up with the idea. It's ancient. It's that human beings are born intentionally incomplete. So when a baby is born, humans are more incomplete than many other species. We don't know all sorts of things. So there's functional knowledge our parents teach us. How they raise us has something to do with the kind of being and attitude we have. And the nature of world we're in may determine the kind of motivation and so forth we have. But all of that, in order to be discovered and to not have our ego get in the way of it being useful, requires development. That's why I create what I call developmental communities. So I have business development communities. I have change agent development communities. I have educator development communities. Each of those, and my last book is about looking at nine of these major roles, that if you can develop yourself, yep, that's it. If you can develop yourself and you have to be in community to do it, you wouldn't believe how much more powerful you are a year later and then another year later and another year later. And I can tell you, if I, my own experience, when I think about who I was in my teens, I was a mess. I am surprised I didn't get in tons of trouble. And in my 20s, I made so many bad decisions, everything from getting married too young to somebody who looked a lot like my father. Oh, my God, I should have known better, right? Uh, to the kind of decisions I made about work. But I, early in my 20s and then very early in my 30s, found communities which were developing us as humans. And that changed who I am. The ideas I share with you were so distant. Even though my grandfather was doing everything he could, it was not being embodied. It was out there. So this one is about instead of seeing yourself or anyone else as fixed, which is Newton's idea, everything is fixed, nothing changes, unless we get a hammer and a chisel and we change it. And it also is moving away from even this idea of there's fixed or growth. Growth is a humanist idea, like give you some more skills, some more experience, has nothing to do with shifting. That's functional work. And maybe a little bit on the edge of attitude. But development is the whole of my being becoming more able, less arrogant, less reactive, more contributing, more able to see impossible things I could not see what I'm sharing with you right now. I think I finally started being able to articulate it in my 40s. And I now understand I'm a pretty smart person, but I wasn't developed. So this bridge is that development which makes it possible for me to work on the inside of me so I can see the outer world in a more complete way. I can see holes. I can see what its role is, and I can see its essence, and I can bring my essence out into it. Unless we can make that bridge and do that work on ourselves, we won't leave behind much with this life.
you know, maybe we make a lot of money. Maybe we have a bunch of great kids. But we don't do something with Mother Earth. And I don't think it's for Mother Earth. I think it's with Mother Earth. And we don't do something with indigenous communities and people who need something if we don't work on ourselves. So we're halfway through, plus a little. Right, beautifully said. Just to confirm, are we moving from the implicate to the explicate now, or is it? All of this is implicate. Okay. Everything I'm doing is implicate. Explicate work is you taking it and doing something in the world with it. I got it. This, this podcast is an explicate, it's explicit, in a manifestation, the way we're doing it, though, it's an implicate. So I don't work on issues. I did when I was in my 20s, and I was at Berkeley, in the free speech movement, the war in Vietnam. I laid my body down in front of tanks and police cars, and I didn't kill anybody or do anything that stupid, but I thought that if I went and fought directly, that's explicate, right? Directly against the police, directly against the 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 establishment, uh, that I would change things. I now understand, no, all of that was preset. It was already unfolding from the way the world was structured. I had to go behind all of that. And that's what it is. It's the implicate. But this is the inner and the outer of the implicate. Got it. That's useful. Okay. okay. Next one. On the upper side, what nests with that, comes in with that essence, is the ability to see the world is nested. It's not connected. It's not related. It's not in sequence. Those are all ideas that the human has tried to do because um, the people who they saw as the bad guys, right, the ones who undermined and destroyed Earth, were all treating it as the flatland, their world. They couldn't see the impact they were having. They couldn't see their effects. They couldn't see the more they got rich and other people got poor how the planet wouldn't work that way, society. They couldn't see it, it was all flat. It was, all they could see was like their eyes barely being on the line of existence and not seeing all these worlds of how we live. So me and my family, and I, I do this a lot. My third book, The Regenerative Business, was trying to get businesses to see themselves in society. Families, how you raise families, we know has a lot to do with what children become as adults. But they also live in a nation. They're nested in that. A company, I can say, and how you work with your employees and contractors is creating the society we live in. If you don't let people be thinking, engaging people here, how can they be when they vote, right? So coming to see things not as related like the drawings of feedback where things go in some kind of and that feedback thing is all in the explicate order right you go try and fix something is broken in somebody by telling them how to work on it rather than what we're going to talk about you would do more when you come back to the bridge again all right so it's either flatland or what I'm offering in the um, implicate world is nested, right? Seeing everything is nested, holes nested in holes, nested in holes and holes. And I mean, if climate, climate change is so hard because we don't know about nested. We don't understand most people that the choices they make about how they use every drop of water in their house every day 
is a part of what happens in climate change. How much they run an air conditioner is, you know, it's hot. I should have my air conditioner on. We don't have the sense of that we're nested in something. And we don't know how to study that. And we're not taught that. So learning to see nestedness and the effects of one level of the nest on another. And it goes both ways. Individuals can create change. But we are also cannot change things that are more powerful than us, like climate systems. No, we can only do that by changing ourselves. We can't, you know, in spite of the fact that people keep trying to figure out how they could send something up there that would change climate. It's not how reality works. In, so the in-between that people try and do, and catch yourself, this is a check. So if you're flat land, right, everything is all the same, and I get mine, you get yours. If you're in the nested view, you know there's no flat, there's multiple layers, but in between the well-intended people, my favorite phrase that I'm speaking to those folks more recently, like you, Dan, well-intended, is we try and do something that's called integrated at this level. That's where we use. And I already know what you're gonna say, yeah. But you have to start with the parts to integrate it, right? So there you go. So okay, same, same thing. Yeah. So the fifth first principle is see the world is nested and how it is that one level of the nest is affecting outward and inward. Begin to see that exchange. All right. What do you want to add? To I just wanted to quickly add that, that for me, this one has been a, um, the entry ticket has been cheaper or something like that. Like holes really hard essence super hard you know right. nested holes i've found i'm up and running with those i'm thinking in terms of nested holes every day one little thing i'd, I'd offer or invite listeners to try out is just draw three or four concentric circles right and put me in the middle and then you might put my family in the next one and then just see what happens next 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 and then then start to realize oh there's reciprocal flows and and, and yeah. you know that just start to play with it and, and every day I'm finding that incredibly valuable and it's another thing permaculturists including myself would have said oh yeah yeah we, we just do that by default we think in terms of nested holes just be open to the possibility that there's more potential there that, may, that maybe you, you don't already 100% get it <laughs> yeah there's another thing you can catch yourself on if you find yourself looking at a decision and figure out what the good and the bad of it is, the strengths and the weaknesses. Those are flatland views. If you go to the middle and say, well, maybe I can take some of this, some of that, and I can create something out of it, you're now in the well-intended view, right? The open systems view. You only get to the quantum view when you see holes nested. And you said that, but people often nest not holes, but problems. You are not doing a nested world unless you have whole entities, each of which has an essence, each of which has its own potential, its own value-adding process. So I often draw those concentric rings with the most outer space being actualization of the system as a whole. Can you learn to think about what I call systems actualization? And then I go work on things like instead of social justice, I work on what's the essence of the social system, or let's just say the, uh, the um, legal system. 
the essence of the legal system, but I'm going to work on it, is not working on parts and problems, which is how most people work on it, but saying, what's the essence of a legal system? And it's really to help people understand how to engage in a way that not only they are able to get what they need to work in the world, but able to give what they're most uniquely able to give and give a world that works for all. Now, we have no justice system that works from that kind of essence. So nested really does mean something about not just looking at my impact, but understanding the essence of each of those rings because they all have different work to do and how you bring them together. All right, we're running out of time here. Let's yeah, do the last let's bring it home. Yeah. two. All right, the sixth one is really hard. Most people think of growth uh, and scalability. That's good stuff. Dan, what you're doing, I wish you could scale it because then the world would be great. And scaling is what got us into the idea of expansion growth that consumes resources. Some people started to figure out that they could leverage something, do a little bit and a bunch of good stuff will happen. I think that podcasts are a leveraging idea, right? Well, I could repurpose this or repurpose that. But what I want people to get to in its kind of essence thinking is nodal. If you look at one of your children, and, I'm, and you can look at yourself if you don't have children and you're listening to this, but let's stay with children, maybe when you were a child. If you work with a child on all the problems they have, which is up here on our fragmented side, right, with a generic program about how you work with children, you know, some kind of gold star process, what you're doing is working on a fragmented idea. If you look at a child, and I wrote about this in this book, I talk about a mother, Nancy, and her daughter, Jane, who they were in a program I was running for the, um, what's that, a criminal justice system for parents, delinquent parents. And she said to me, I don't know how to work with this child. She talks back to me, she's undisciplined. And we worked over time through these kind of uh, processes, not exactly these words. And I said, what is it that really wakes up Jane? What really do you see her when she is so focused, she can't pay attention to anything else. And she said, well, play acting. And we continued to play with that and slowly realized that if her mother gave her support, and I got involved a bit, in play acting stories, she felt like her friends needed to see. It actually worked on her. And ultimately, I tell the story about going back to Palo Alto Community Center where they had children's theater, and Jane was in her late 20s, and she was running theater programs for children, learning how to write their own plays. That's nodal. You work on who Jane was, and you, Nancy, the mother, quit trying to fix her problems where she's bad in math, and et cetera. She learned all the math she needed to learn when she had a theater and a budget, right? So moving from scalable all the way over to nodal. So it's like acupuncture. You put a needle in one spot and poof, the whole system moves. All right. The last one. The idea that we mostly have about how we get by in the world, what we're taught in school, maybe what we're taught by our parents, certainly our first job is all transactional. 
I have to get good at transactions. You're taught to bargain, negotiate, influence, uh, impress, all of the stuff that has to do with being better at the transaction, at getting what you want. It's all the direct method. You're taught to barter, to get what you want through direct transactions. What I do with businesses is teach them to work with people and customers and everything else from the indirect, from learning to build fields, learning to build cultures. So I say there are three ways to work on the indirect, the implicate order, which David Bohm said. And this is where I currently am. I'm fully aware this is likely to move. I can feel it getting shaken already. But the three core ways that we work right now in the implicate order in the seven first principles is by working on capability, which is a part of the development process to see these other things. Culture, which is how we do things. It's not a thing itself. People go try and work on culture. No, nope. you work on how you do things and you can change what gets done. And the final thing is unconsciousness of the level of energy that we're at and learning that there are different levels of energy just quickly, like I'm on automatic a big percentage of the time. I work hard in the arena so I know it matters to never do anything the same way twice. So I can't be on automatic, I force myself. Like today, I pulled out notes, I said, all right, you can't say anything you've already said. Well, I did a little, but I got a few new things in here, right? And that is working on consciousness. Sometimes we can be sensitive, which is this middle role, the integrated, the connected, the ideals. All of that is about really working uh, in a sensitive energy way. And then consciousness is something completely different where I learned to manage me, I learned to manage my arrogance, my hubris, you know, my ego and all my reactivity so I can see what needs to be brought into the world and that's a whole lot of work. And if anybody comes and shows up and work with us, they'll learn how to play with that, right, Dan? Yeah, these levels of mental energy, are, I'm, again, using those every day. And it's just so useful to start noticing. What those seven are is how we move from the classical direct way into the implicate world, where we work on that which is implied. And I would encourage people to read David Bohm's book, Wholeness in the Implicate Order, read the first fourth. After that's full of physics and formulas. I read on skipping all of that stuff, but it frames so much of who I am to have engaged with that. So thanks for letting me play with those again. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, was, I was just, one little thought was, it was funny because some people might say, well, hang on, David Bohm was a physicist. We're trying to yeah. understand life from a physicist our approach comes from ecology and the if you go back you're like where, where did the where did the ecologists get their approach from oh newton <laughs> yeah he started out as a physicist and he always was but he the problem is that when people say oh he's a physicist they're thinking about the newton form physics really is how a system a structure we live on works right and he changed the paradigm of that. And most of us don't ever bother to go study physics again in the Bohmian way, in the Einstein way. And so we think of it in the transactional way. The other little thing is he studied with Krishnamurti. And Einstein called him his spiritual son because he brought so much of the spiritual world 
and Living Systems. He wasn't as good. He wrote a few books I wouldn't recommend, and he later said one of me, which he hadn't written. But he tried to apply it to how you deal with people, and it, he ended up in the middle column we've been working on. So I've been trying to help him out, evolving my own understanding for the last 45 years I've been writing and working on this stuff. Well, Cal, thanks so much for, for what you've been up to the last 45 years. I'm, I'm certainly benefiting from it. I was very excited to have this conversation and to share these seven first principles with the audience. And love, I'm really excited to see where it takes the, the project. Me too. Thanks, Carol. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure.